This message, Behold, I See, is about the stoning of Stephen. We're going to read uh, the second half of chapter 6 in, in Acts, and then we'll also read the last few verses of chapter 7 in the course of this message. And so last week we talked about the selection of seven people to serve tables and how it was such a spiritual and practical thing that serving food and ministering the word, there was such a parallel idea and feeling uh, regarding that. And these seven that were chosen to serve tables, they were gathered in, in, in the center of the group. They, they laid their hands on them. It was such a spiritual thing. They visibly invested authority to them and uh, they were serving And it goes on in verse 8 of chapter 6. And Stephen, which was one of the seven, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. And yet they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. And they put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against his holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down. To us, and fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. We'll stop the reading there real quick. And we are being introduced to this man, Stephen. He's a, a lay leader invested with authority, invested with authority to serve tables with a group of people. And the passage before that we read last week talked about these seven men as being full of the spirit and wisdom. And this passage that we read today talks about Stephen being full of grace and power. Miracles were happening through this man. And I I love how it shows this aspect of the church where leadership, anointing, ministry of the word, and also signs and wonders, it was not confined to the apostles to the twelve that were really the core of the early church. And it really bubbled out beyond that. And I love how a lay leader like Stephen was such a strong dominant force for the early church. How an individual can be such a powerful conduit of the gospel and also of signs and wonders healing. And you, in a sense, can think of yourself as a Stephen, as a person who is invested as a lay person with the authority and the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit, and that you yourself can be an instrument of such things. That it is not designated and just isolated to the apostles or the leaders of the early church, and it really trickled down in a powerful way to people like Stephen. And this man was preaching with such wisdom. He was uh, doing miracles. And as he was ministering, the religious establishment, they became ruffled. They were upset. And whether they were angry or jealous, nonetheless, the crowd was riled up. And 
They treated Stephen just like they treated Jesus. They gathered false witnesses because they really couldn't cope with him. The things that he was saying, how he was going about his business, there wasn't much they could snag. There wasn't much that they could say, you know what, ah, that's it. And so what they had to do was to then act falsely. They had to gather some people to say, would you say this about him? Would you then just condemn the man in such a way? And would you make up a story? And this is what was happening. And it's exactly how they treated Jesus. And in chapter 7 of Acts, we're not going to read the entire sermon that Stephen that, that he gives, but the first 53 verses of this chapter, chapter 7, is one of the most exhaustive, powerful recounts of Israel's history and also of the gospel recorded for us in the New Testament. And uh, as you read this, I mean, there are some powerful figures that he talks about, Abraham and Moses and David and Solomon. And he goes and he recounts what God had done through history and how they arrived at such a time as Jesus and how the Holy Spirit was now there. And after Stephen gives this really exhaustive, powerful recount of history and, uh, and, and this message of the gospel, We'll pick up the reading in chapter 7, verse 54. This is now the reaction to Stephen's message. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. And being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice. And look at this childish thing that they they cover their ears. Like, ah, don't tell me anymore, right? They're just covering their ears, it says. And they rushed upon him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. The first main thing that I say to you today is to behold life through Jesus is to have the greatest vantage point. And I can't overstate this enough. That the greatest blessing that we as a believer can have in life is to look at life through Jesus. That if the first thing you see in life is the presence and heart of Christ, and then through that presence and heart, you look at everything else you encounter, that will be the greatest blessing in your entire life. If He would be the filter, the lens in which you see the world through, our lives would be filled with such peace and joy constantly. And that if I can behold Jesus, that is the highest, greatest peak that I can stand on. The greatest perspective that I can have and everything else will fall into place. It would be so hard to ruffle my feathers, to upset me, to knock me off course if this be the lens through which I live life. 
And so I say that again. To behold life through Jesus is the greatest vantage point that I can have in life. This man, Stephen, this crowd is now really upset with him. And they angrily bring him before the religious leaders. And in the midst of this, he doesn't see the crowds. He doesn't see the council. In the midst of this, he sees Jesus. He sees Christ. And his face, his countenance is that of an angel as this angry mob is looking at him. And they're confused for a second. Why is there such peace falling over your face? Why is there such serenity filling your spirits right now? Why are you filled with such courage in this moment? How can you look like an angel when we, this gathering, are against you and you are about to die, my friend? It's because Stephen wasn't looking at the crowds or the council. It's because he was looking at Christ. And that vantage point put that council, put the crowd all in perspective. And he realized that he was above that moment. He realized that his life or death was inconsequential to Christ. And it really set everything in its proper place. And it's exactly what Christ is. It's the cornerstone. It's the stone in which every other stone is laid. And if in my life Christ becomes a cornerstone, and every other stone that I lay in my life is laid against this stone, the other stones will be laid true. It would be aligned and in right place. And that really is the focal point of what I want to talk about today. Because how we respond to circumstances in life, is directly correlated to what I see, to what I believe, and to what I've experienced. However I respond or act in life, it has a direct correlation to what I'm looking at. I bring you to a a similar situation in, in Scripture, and this is of the life of Christ. Now, this man Stephen, he's standing before his accusers, and he has the calmness, the courage, the peace and serenity, just filling his spirit and face. And he shares this message. And they are now like, man, that's it. Be gone with you. And they drag him out so violently. And they don't even give him this proper trial as was custom in this particular time. And they begin stoning him. And he prays forgiveness for those that are hurling these stones at him. He says, have mercy on them. And it brings me to a passage in which Jesus being crucified, when they came to the place called the skull, that being Golgotha, there they crucified Jesus and the criminals, one on the right and on the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Isn't there such a similar spirit there? That as he is being dragged away, falsely accused, and then condemned to die an excruciating death, if you think of that word, excruciating, that's talking about the cross, ex, out of, the crucifix. That word excruciating means out of the cross. And so he's dying this excruciating death, a painful, slow death. And in this moment, of being nailed alongside criminals, he prays this prayer to God saying, forgive them. How do such words come out of a man that's dying like this? 
How do the words come out of Christ? How do the words come out of Stephen? When he is being bloodied to death, how can he say, God, have mercy on these guys? It's because Jesus wasn't looking at the cross itself. He wasn't looking at the Roman soldiers. He wasn't thinking about Pilate. He wasn't thinking about the chief priests alone. He was thinking about the redemptive history that was already laid out from the foundation of the world. When Jesus was crying this prayer, he understood that there is still forgiveness of sin, that why he was dying on the cross was so that people like those that were nailing him there would have Hope in life. That they too can make it to heaven. That they too could have a pathway to be with the Father. And Jesus understanding that seeing heaven, seeing that eternity right from the beginning to that moment and what it would be, He could utter such words. Because if He was looking at the anger of the mob, I mean, if that's what He was fixated on, I mean, different words would come out. And Stephen as well being stoned in this moment, he is able to see Jesus standing. I mean, normally Scripture says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, right? And Stephen clearly sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now some talk about how Jesus, even Jesus had to get up on his feet to see what was happening. He captured the heart of Christ seated at the right hand of God. And he stands And in a sense, applauds him the entire way. And as Stephen was being stoned to death, he is able to pray for mercy and forgiveness because he sees Jesus. Not the decision of the council. Not the angry crowds. And it really puts life in perspective. Now I know these are very extreme cases. The crucifixion of Christ, the stoning of Stephen. And... The the situations we fall into in life may not be this extreme. But the truth, the point still bears relevance. That when I can behold Jesus, when I can look at my life and what I'm experiencing through the lens of Jesus, I'm able to organize and align all of the things of my life appropriately. Am I contemplating my career, relationship, disappointments, disasters? As I look at all of that, there are so many things that can just confuse me. I think about people that have hurt me. I think about decisions that were wrong. I think about mistakes that were made. And as I think about those things, I can get so focused, fixated on the person, the decision, the action, the consequence. And when I get so fixated on that, that's when my emotions get all pent up. I begin to be not only frustrated, I begin to be angry, I begin to be depressed, because I'm looking at these things. And if for a moment I can scale those back, and I can say, no, I will not focus on you, person. I will not focus on you, action. I will not focus on you, oh mistake. And I will say, I will look at these things first through the lens of Christ, that He will be the glasses through which I see life. And if I can do that, if I can pull that back and then re-look at those things through Christ, I can respond like Stephen did. I can pray like Christ did. Because what I look at, it becomes so important to how I respond, to how I act. Another example of this is found in Hebrews. In chapter 12, it says, Therefore, 
since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And you kind of see what's going on here. The writer is saying, I want you to see the cloud, the history of the patriarchs. I want you to, to consider Abraham and Moses and David and all the people who lived by faith. As you consider all of these folks that lived by faith before God in this great cloud of witnesses, then you can lay aside the encumbrances, the sins that entangle you, because you're looking at this faith. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. And so Jesus, as He's thinking about the cross, He's not looking at the cross, He's looking past it at joy. He's looking at the joy of heaven. He's looking at the joy of being in heaven with the redeemed. And the only way to be in heaven with the redeemed is actually to get through the cross. And so He's able able to endure the cross because of joy that was set before Him. Despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How do we get through seasons of excruciating studies? How do you pass a rookie season in a, in a, in a corporate setting? How do you get through the, 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 the grit, the grind, the gruel of things? Is if you can see a prize at the end. If you see the, the result of all of your hard work and labor. If that's what gets us through school to hold a degree or gets us through the beginning stages of a job, how much more when you stretch it out into life? How do you get through seasons of darkness and hardship and hurts? It's when you set joy before you. It's when you can see your life not confined to this season, but beyond it. When you can see Jesus through each step. When you can see the heart of Christ that has ushered in these things. The wisdom and the plan of God. And so fixing our eyes on Jesus and to set joy before us, we can endure shame. We can endure things like the cross. Secondly, suffering is a powerful platform for faith and the gospel. Now, that's evident in our passage here. Now, really, this is a, 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 not a pretty picture in Acts chapter 7, the stoning of Stephen. It's, there's no protocol here. They're just, it's just an angry mob deciding to kill a guy. That's all it is. There's no proper trial. There's no proper vetting of all of the witnesses and saying, okay, now you are really proven guilty beyond a doubt. There, there's none of that. It's just... I don't like what you're saying and everything about you right now I hate. And so we will drag you out of this this council. We will take you to the corners of this city and we will just stone you. That's all it is. Now, Jewish writing talks about the proper protocol of stoning. After a, a person is considered guilty through trial, he is then taken out of the city and when he is 15 feet from a pit, They they normally stone them in a pit. When he is 15 feet from a pit, he is asked to confess his sins. When he is 6 feet from the pit, he is stripped. When he gets to the pit, one one witness pushes him face first into the pit. 
If he dies, then he's dead. He is then turned over if he's still alive, and one person drops a heavy stone on his heart, on his chest. If that's enough to kill him, he's dead. If not, then the entire congregation of witnesses begin hurling stones until he dies. And somehow, in this entire commotion of what is happening with Stephen, whether he was thrown in the pit or whether they couldn't wait to get there, somehow he finds his way on his knees and he prays, have mercy on these guys. And there was a, an individual amongst them. It was a young man, not meaning he was a teenager, but in his prime. A young man by the name of Saul. We know him later to be the Apostle Paul. And as this man Saul was witnessing this vicious stoning, Stephen prays for mercy, for forgiveness. And I mean, later, when we thank God for the ministry of the Apostle Paul, we also need to, to put that in, in perspective to what Stephen is praying here. When he prays for forgiveness and mercy for this crowd of people, including Saul, I have to imagine that Saul somehow later in his life understood that the degree in which we follow Christ, that Stephen, in a sense, set a bar for that. That him being one of the first folks that, in the early church that, that suffered such a fate, and Saul being a front row witness to this, that somehow his actions, somehow his suffering, somehow his un unjust stoning, somehow his prayer made an impression on this man. And I can see how that impacted him in his later life. Suffering is a platform. It becomes such a powerful way to not only grow my own faith, but it becomes a platform for which the gospel and Christ can be shared. Now, suffering is normally something we run away from. We ask God to free us from, Lord, this is uncomfortable. Would you help me get out of this? We, we pray quickly when suffering sets in, and we want out of it. But what we see here in the life of Stephen is a person who was able to walk into suffering, embrace it in a way, and shine through it the heart of Christ. What a powerful example Stephen is. A lay leader, a person designated to serve tables, but became a, an instrument of miracles in the gospel that this man, Stephen, is an inspiration in the early church. And really what happens in this chapter became a precedent for a widespread persecution of the early church that we can later read in, from chapter 8 and onward. And I read this, that the, the persecuting fires of the early church did not make martyrs, it only revealed them. And Stephen wasn't a martyr because of this. He was a person that followed Christ, that saw him, and he was only revealed as a martyr through the stoning. It wasn't the stoning that made him one. And so I encourage you in your life. It's not about the, the guilt of like, oh, how come I don't live my life like that? And this message is about just helping us to look and live life 
through the lens of Christ. To be able to see Him first and foremost and for Him to inform the decisions, the responses that I have. To look at life, whether mountaintops of joy or valleys of suffering, and say, I will look at both of these through the lens of Christ. Stephen teaches us that, the power of that. And so I begin to close. Praise Tim, you come back. The focus in my life should not be on how I act, rather on what I see. Why do I say this? I think too often when we're, when we're not satisfied with how we're acting, or uh, what we're, we, we try to make a decision, I'm, I'm going to act different. Right? I, I, I want to respond differently when I'm around such an, an individual. But as I see it, how actions change, how response changes, is not a decision to change how we act, but really a decision to change what we see, what we're focused on. I, I choose to focus on the good, on patience, on faith, on Christ. I choose to focus on love. And when we choose to focus on certain things, our actions and responses, they fall in line, right? And so it's about changing what we see to change how we respond and act. And secondly, it really is a summary of Hebrews 12, just to set joy before you, to say, I will set joy before me, and through the joy that Christ gives me, I will be able to encounter and walk through anything in life, even a cross. And with that being our declaration, I know we can have a testimony like that of Stephen. Amen? Amen.